This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I are on the road at the All-Star Game. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to our last road trip shows, I recommend you start with episode 16 so you can follow along from ballpark to ballpark. We have a jam-packed show for you this week with several special guests. This episode begins with my conversation with three ball hawks that I met standing in line waiting to get into the park. You may recognize one of the ball hawks as Zach Hample, the man who caught Alex Rodriguez's 3,000th hit. This episode was recorded at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Blue Jays win it! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Got him! 20 strikeouts! He ties the Major League record! There it goes! See ya! I don't believe what I just saw! And he's out by five feet at the plate! And that was the worst base running in the history of the game! Fly ball, left field, it's deep! So I am standing outside of the beautiful Great American Ballpark. The rains have not come this time around, so it looks like it's a beautiful, beautiful day. And I have met uh, a couple of absolutely amazing and fascinating gentlemen, all thanks to my buddy Zach Hample, who you all know Zach. Zach is a superstar who caught Alex Rodriguez's 3,000 hits, one of the most genuine, nice guys I know. But Zach's a ball hawk. I don't know much about ball hawking. I've been to thousands of games, over 1,000 baseball games in my life. I've caught a grand total of zero. These three gentlemen that I'm talking to here have caught a heck of a lot more than that. So let's just introduce yourselves for the podcast. What is your name, sir? I'm uh, Devo from Los Angeles. Devo from Los Angeles? Cole Atkins from Cincinnati. Cole from Cincinnati. And hey, Zach Hample here from New York. That is Zach from New York. So you were telling me a little bit that you got into this ball hawking game a little bit late. So uh, what age, if you don't mind uh, revealing to our listeners, what age did you actually start ball hawking? I've been going to spring training since my 40s. I'm 55 right now, and I caught balls in spring training and that. And then I went to a game one time, and I saw this character out in right field at Angel Stadium. Just there was he was the only guy out there, and no one else was catching him. He's making underhanded catches, overhand catches. And I said, "Wow, that looks kind of fun." So a couple games later, I went and I got three balls, and I go, "Wow, this is kind of easy." Next game I went, I didn't get anything. Next game I didn't get anything. And then I realized it's a little tougher. So that's how I got into it. That beginner's luck always kills you. It always kills you. It gives you that false sense of uh, superiority. And how about yourself? Well, I'm sorry, your name one more time was? Cole Atkins. Cole? All right, so Cole, you are the baby of the group. You are a young lad. How old are you? I am 15 years old. And how long have you been ball hawking? I've been ball hawking for about four years now. And I really started this in 2012, um, fooling around on the internet. Uh, come across Zach Hample. Uh, read his blog for hours upon hours, watched his videos on YouTube, went out the first day, mid-June, didn't get anything, went back in July, no batting practice, walking through, trying to find baseball through the stands, found one, I was so excited, I was hooked on this. Come back a month later, I got six baseballs, and uh, the hit, the rest is history. So do you know right now how many balls you have collected over your short, short time as a ball hawk? Uh, in four years, I have collected uh, 203 baseballs. To someone like myself, that is absolutely incredible. And how many have you uh, uh, caught, sir? I'm over uh, 1,300 for lifetime at uh, regular major league games, not, not including spring training. 1,300 is pretty impressive, but I think we're about to blow both of you out of the water because to my left is a gentleman by the name of Zach Hample 
who was the best. I think it was Guthrie who called you the greatest ball-catching fan of our generation. Is this true? That's true. I saw a tweet that he posted, I think, that Darren Ravel quoted or retweeted where, yeah, Guthrie had some nice things to say about me, so I appreciated that. So, Zach, you and I are going to have a much longer conversation uh, sometime soon here with Anthony, because Anthony is currently out meeting some of his uh, fancy little actor friends. Unacceptable. I agree. I've been having so much fun at, at the Fan Fest and at the block party and just hanging out. and. So Anthony is here in Cincinnati. Anthony is here in Cincinnati, and he and he's will be a, not here with us. He is not. He will. That be. is. That's just terrible. <laughs> Anthony, get your act together, man. What's going on? He'll be at the game with me tonight, so it'll be fun. But uh, so tell me just a little bit. Like I said we'll get very deep into this later. But when do you remember first becoming a ball hog? I went to my first game when I was six, and I brought my glove. But I think I arrived at the game with my dad in the second or third inning. We aimed for a first pitch arrival, got lost, and hit some traffic. And then, of course, we had to leave early to beat traffic. And in those middle innings, we were all the way up in the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. And I'm sure I was just screaming, you know, here, hit it here, and driving everybody crazy around me. Um, it wasn't until I was 12 that I actually learned that there was such a thing as batting practice, went early and I got my first two baseballs ever. That was in 1990 at Shea Stadium. And uh, that moment triggered something inside my brain, I guess, and it was so much fun, I just wanted to do it again and again. And it wasn't until I was 14 that I got permission to ride the subway to games by myself on school nights as long as I got my work done and woke up early. And it just kind of took off for the, from there. In 1992, I went to more than 80 games that year alone and snagged more than 100 balls that year, which seemed incredible at the time. <laughs> right now, that's just like, you know, a decent month for me. <laughs> and it's just uh, reached bigger and bigger heights as time has gone on. That is absolutely just phenomenal. So just for our listeners, you've got a couple of amazing numbers in your, in your life. The total number, which you may not have at the top of your head, but just a ballpark of the total number you've caught, and then your amazing consecutive game streak, which I just, it blows my mind every time I hear it. I know the exact number of balls, and including batting practice, um, and like Devo said, you know, I don't count spring training, I, I don't count minor leagues either, uh, 8,227 is the lifetime tally. And as far as consecutive games, I'm not sure of the exact number, I think it's 1,109. That's 1,109 consecutive games getting at least one ball. I want you all to just think about that for one moment. That is, most of us will not go to more than 1,100 games in our lifetime. This gentleman has got at least one actual Major League Baseball with a series. So I guess you started and Seelig was on it, correct? So it was... Uh, oh, and I started, Seelig wasn't even there. No, so who was the commission when, uh, who was your first, uh, the commissioner's stamp well, on the first ball? they didn't even do commissioners. They had National and American League balls. So we had William D. White on the National League balls back when I started in the early 90s and Bobby Brown was on the American League balls, yeah. That is insane. Well, like I said, you and I are gonna be talking a lot more. We'll do a much, a much more in-depth chat coming up soon, I hope. But I do just wanna get, since we are here at the All-Star Game, yesterday you were at the Derby. I need you to let our, our, our listeners know how you did at the Derby. I saw you before the game, you were a little bit nervous. You know, you were, you know this is so many people here, you know? It, it's a much different than going to a game at City Field or Yankee Stadium or whatnot. How'd you end up doing? I got six balls in batting practice. They were all tossed up to me. So not terribly exciting, but uh, I had some nice interactions. I, I gave a shout to Mike Trout, who still remembers me as being the fan who caught his first 
major league home runs. So he, he gave me a wave and, you know, knew that I was there and then told some of his all-star teammates about me and they all kind of looked over and I waved back. And one of Prince Fielder's sons also recognizes me. And we had a nice chat during BP and he tossed me a couple of baseballs and said he'll be on the lookout for me today. So, you know, even though I got toss-ups, there were some fun moments and I didn't get anything during the Derby, but on two separate occasions, uh, a different fan each time directly on my left got a ball during the Derby. So I was close, I was in some good spots. I stand behind my choices and my strategy, but just came up a little bit short on the luck, which happens. Absolutely, even the best struggle from time to time. But uh, Zach, thank you so much. This has been uh, very, very fun to hear just some of your stories. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, you've got a very long future ahead of you. Let's see if you can get to 8,000 in a couple years. That's your goal. <laughs> Actually, by the time you're at his age, you'll be at, at maybe 15, 20,000. You never know. What? <laughs> what? Not going to happen. Because by then I'll be at 50,000. Exactly. See, you're never going to catch him. And thank you, sir. Any last, any uh, parting wisdom of, of, as you got into this later than anybody else that I'm talking to currently, first of all, I guess, why did you get into it at that point? Uh, it's just, it's just fun. Like, like as these guys will tell you, you just get hooked once you get the ball. It's, it's a chance for you. That is my game. That is my game before they play their game. A lot of times I could care less about their game. I'm interested in having my game. And that's, that's what's fun about it. It is, I don't play team sports anymore. I'm a little older than that, but it's just fun to go out there. And it, now with the competition on, the, on my game balls, it's fun to see how the other people are doing. Uh, around the country, so it's just a, it's a fun thing to do. It's, uh, my wife likes it because it's harmless and uh, it's just fun, a lot of fun. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, if you guys have never gotten a chance to see, uh, a, oh my goodness, and just oh, as I no. said about the wonderful weather, the skies have it. opened. You dummy, <laughs> you jinxed it. No, I don't believe in that because if we could affect things with our words, we'd be talking about much cooler stuff. But that this is, is true. This is actually terrible. Oh, the rain. This is very, very bad. And the thunder has, maybe this is, this is Cincinnati though. The rains move quickly. It is, we got about 45 minutes. So if it can basically just be here for 10 minutes, I think we should be okay. We're looking at the weather report right now. Ah, no, it doesn't look too bad. 30%, 30%. Yeah, but that's 30% at, at every given second. So after like four seconds, each second has a 30% chance it's guaranteed to rain. Such is the life of a ball hawk, having to constantly be on the lookout for weather patterns and everything. So we're gonna, I'm going to let you guys go so that uh, we can wallow in our sadness at these raindrops coming. Uh, the next time you hear my voice, it will be inside the Great American Ballpark for the 2015 All-Star Game. We'll see you in a bit. After finding our seats for the All-Star Game, Anthony and I noticed an older gentleman gingerly walking down the aisle in front of us. There was a presence about him. I don't know how to explain it. His grandson turned around and handed me a signed baseball card. The name on the card was Don Groundhog Johnson. This man played in the Negro Leagues. We take you now to the captivating story of the Groundhog. Ladies and gentlemen, I am incredibly pleased and, and just, I, I'm so excited right now to introduce you to a very special ball player that happens to be sitting in front of Anthony and I 
at the 2015 All-Star Game. His name is Don Groundhog Johnson, and he played for the Chicago American Giants, the Philadelphia Stars, the Baltimore Elite Giants, and of course my favorite, the Detroit Stars. And the Negro Leagues from 1947 to 1953, Mr. Don Johnson. It's an absolute pleasure to meet you, sir. Thank you. So can you tell me a little bit just about your playing days in the Negro Leagues, maybe some of the players that you were able to, to play with? Or... Hank and Willie Mays, Hank, all the good ones. You played with Hank and Willie? Satchel Page. What do you say, man? Hold on one second. We're just being uh, interrupted by one of the vendors. There's an old ball player as well? Yeah. Yeah. Who is this? Player and umpire. He's been a long time uh, good sportsman there. What is your name, sir? Uh, my name's Dan Wallace. I'm an Dan umpire. Dan Wallace, you're an umpire with, with who? I'm with the uh, ASA umpires in Cincinnati. You never know who you're going to meet at the ballpark. Never Danny, know. Never know. thank you so much. Hey, he's called me out a lot. Yeah? <laughs> you, Danny, you called him out? Uh, another couple years, we've retired by now. <laughs> but yeah, but a ball player never forgets. So you played with Hank. You played with Willie. Mm -hmm. That is... I, I didn't play with him. I played against him. You played against him. I was Chicago. I can't even yeah, fathom and, that. And, and them guys were... The Cleveland Buckeyes. And, and, uh... And, uh, Hank Aaron. He was with Indianapolis Clowns. See, they had a team called Indianapolis Clown. Absolutely. You know, Anthony and I, my co-host and I, were just at the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, and we learned all about the clowns. You know that lady that worked behind the counter in, in, the, in the concession part? Yeah. The lady, uh, it's a black lady. Yes. That used to be my girlfriend. <laughs> hey, now. She's a good-looking lady. Yes, she is. Nicely done, sir. Yeah, she called me a couple, couple weeks ago. She gave me a call. Uh-oh. And I, I, I haven't seen her in, oh, I guess, I guess I haven't seen that woman in four or five years. We're going to take a quick break real quick while some of the uh, fans kind of get to their seats. Nope. All right. Never mind. We'll be back to this. So, um, so can, can you tell me some memories about you playing against Hank and Willie? Well, they've always been good hitters, always been big hitters. But we, only way we got them out is through them high strikes. Really? They couldn't lay off them high strikes? They couldn't lay off the high strikes. We'd throw them high strikes and get them fly out because they'd be trying to hit them out. <laughs> They're all trying to hit them out. Everyone's trying to make it put on a show. Yeah, that's right. And we'd throw them high strikes. So how about yourself, sir? What was your game? Were you a ground ball hitter? Were you a long ball hitter? What did you do? I hit everything. I hit them. You know, hey, if they play me around the right, I hit them to the left. <laughs> hey, you know where they... Hey, I can't understand the way these guys play now. Everybody play around the right. Well, what they tell you, a big league hitter can't place it? Thank a you, big, sir. A big league hitter ought to be able to play in it, hit any part of the field. I agree. All this shift nonsense, no. you should be able to hit it the other way. And they put everybody on one side of the diamond, put everybody on one side of the diamond, mm -hmm. and you can't hit, you ain't no big league. <laughs> you don't belong in the big league. You hear that, folks? You don't believe in the big. You don't belong in the big leagues if you, you can't hit it the opposite you way. You can't hit but one way. You don't belong in the big league. I do not disagree with you, sir. I don't. I don't, I don't blame you. So, what were some of your favorite ballparks to play in during your time in the Negro Leagues? Well, we we played in all the big league parks. Really? Yeah. The Negro League played in all the big league parks. I didn't know that. No, that's what they played in. Well, hey. That's in the park. Sorry, folks, we're being a little bit distracted because Manny Machado just hit a long out against Clayton Kershaw. They played in all the big league parks. 
And uh, my favorite part was Cincinnati. Really? That was my favorite part. It was the smallest part. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's why it's your favorite. I think Cincinnati's still carrying on that, that mantra of having the smallest part. That was the smallest part. I played in the smallest part, and I love Cincinnati Park. So, sir, one of the things that we ask our guests is kind of how you got into baseball in the first place. So, could you remember your earliest memories of being a baseball player or yes, baseball I, fan? Yes, I got into baseball. I tell you, I used to play out in Latonia, Kentucky. That's where I was born, Latonia, Kentucky, where the old racetrack used to be. Sure. That's the old racetrack, Latonia racetrack was one of the oldest uh, uh, race tra racehorse tracks in the world. That was Latonia, Kentucky. And that's where I learned to play baseball over. We used to have a park in their inner field, in their infield. And that's what we learned. Now, by me being black, it wasn't but three black families that lived in Latonia, Kentucky. It wasn't but three black families. In the whole city, in the whole town. In the whole town. Wow. Only time as any other black is when the horses, the horse race, horses would come out of town. The jockeys and stables, stable masters would be, some Some of them would be black. Sure. And they'd be in a town. But otherwise, it was three, flam three families in, in, in Latonia, Kentucky. And that's where I learned to play ball. Now, I had to play with no glove because none of the white balls would let me use their glove. And I had to play with no glove. That is ridiculous. But you know what? I bet it made you a better fielder. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. That's it, awesome. It really did. It really did. You said it for a joke, but it really did. I believe it. It really made me a better ball player. Because, see, you have to use soft hands anyway. Soft hands. You got to have them soft hands. Yes, sir. Man. And you played at the middle, right? Yeah, I played the second. And second and short, that's why they called me. That's why on that card. They called me Groundhog. The Groundhog. Who started calling the gro the Groundhog? I started. They they started calling me that. Winfield Welch started that in in the Negro League. Okay. Winfield Welch. Win I will have to. I don't know him too much, so I'm gonna have to look him up. And look uh, him up. for those folks on ClubhousePodcast.com, I'll make a, sure I'll get the he, stats he, up there. He 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 he, uh, he managed uh, Kansas City. He managed Chicago some. You find out. Look okay. Winfield Welch. I will definitely look him up. He'd be, he'd be, he'd be about, he'd be about almost 200 years old now. It's all right though. Hey, I'm, 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 I'm 89. You look damn good for 89, sir. I'm 89, and I would still be playing ball, player. I'd still be playing ball if it hadn't been for them strokes. See, I had two strokes back to back. Well, you look fantastic. I'm, Seriously, I'm, 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 I'm weak on my right side. Sure, well, see, I'm right-handed. Sure, but but I'd, I'd still be playing. Well, we're gonna I coach a ball team now. You coach now? Yeah. Coach. Who do you coach? I, I coach uh, the team called Cincinnati Tigers. Okay. Yeah. Is that here in town? Is that uh... here in town? Here in town from all. It's a semi-pro team. Oh wow! Yeah. That is fantastic that you're still involved with baseball all yeah. these years later. Mm -hmm. Hey, I don't know if you've been to the new, you've been to the, uh, by that new stadium they got? Which one, here in Cincinnati? Yeah. No, not yet. We just got in yesterday, so no, we haven't gotten a chance to. Man, you got to, before you go home, you got to. Yeah? Well, you we got, got some time tomorrow. You got, you got to go see it. Okay, I'll definitely it's, check it it's out. out on, uh, hey, where is that new park? Up in, uh, 
Roseline area. Uh, Roseline area. Roseline area. Okay. Roseline area. Okay. A new stadium. Three, three of them. One of them is named after me, Don Johnson. You got a stadium named after you, sir? Yeah. One of them. One host say, "Hey, as, as, as." Hold on one second, sir. There's going to be a play at the plate, and the American League has just taken a two-to-one lead. And it's uh, it's AstroTurf. You feel it's AstroTurf? How do you feel about that? So I'm used to them bad bounces. <laughs> okay, I see. I've been had them all of my life. Absolutely. But the, that's an advantage for you. You let the other people, they don't know how to handle bad bounces, but that's your wheelhouse. You got that. Oh, man. Man, hey, you hit it down to me. Just turn right. Go back in the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I like you a lot. That hey, is fantastic. Here's to me, turn right. I, hey, that's what I tell them. Hey, I, I, see, we talk, we like, that's another thing. These guys. Sorry, and the American League is just teeing off on Clayton Kershaw. These guys don't don't talk on the field. No, you know, Anthony and I were just you talking about it earlier. Talk, man. Yes. You got, hey, you make your buddy feel good. But if, 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 if I'm the second baseman and I talk to you, when you feel better, me talking to you, we crack a joke or something, <laughs> loosen you up. Absolutely. That's, you know, my, I'm, that's, I'm, a, that's the way we do. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, obviously, and so my favorite player is Miguel Cabrera. Miggy is one of the few guys that still does talk. Every time someone comes to first base, he's laughing with them, he's messing with them, Man. he's trying to trip them, he's throwing his gum at them, he's just having fun with them. You gotta do that all over the field. I agree. He loosened you up. I agree a thousand percent. Loosen you up, man. I tell you, cause this doesn't happen to me. You can't be quiet out there. When you get quiet, you 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 get up, you get up tight. Sure. You get up tight. Sure. You loosen yourself up by talking. So could you do me a favor and because uh, we're, we're gonna have to wrap this up pretty soon. Could you just kind of tell me your favorite baseball memory, just the memory that in your life that you just love? My memory when I got see I got I got run over. I got run over by a locomotive. When was this? When I was 12 years old. That's oh before I got into baseball. Oh my goodness. I was 12 years old. I got I got run over by a locomotive. I was playing football next to the railroad track, and the train the train was sitting there, but it's, it's just started up. And my feet, I got my leg got caught up under, and towed me up. Oh my goodness! I, I I stayed in the hospital two years. I liked it, not made it out. And that's when I when I did get out. I used to be bad. In the hospital, I would throw things at people, things people to come and visitors and things. I throw fruit at him. <laughs> you were upset. You were frustrated. I get it. But 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 I, 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 when I come out of there, I went into baseball, and I loved it ever since. That's... And the, and the hardest hit, the heart. They asked me what's the hardest thing I ever I ever hit was that train. <laughs> Well, sir, this has been an honor and a pleasure, and I wish I could talk to you for five more hours, but... Hey, it's been a, it's been a job, man. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And have a good trip back. Will do. So, ladies hey, and gentlemen... But you gotta come 
You got to go and see that new park. I got to go check out the new park. I got to see the new Don Johnson Park. Yeah. You see it? It's big writing. All the letters is about that big. All the way across the, all the, way across the park. Yeah. Letters is about, about like that. All right. Well, the next time we're here, maybe tomorrow or the next time we're back in Cincinnati, we will definitely be there. I'll send you a picture of us on the field. Ask some word at Rose Line Park. I will definitely do that, sir. Thank you. Roseline Park. Roseline Park, Don Johnson Field, ladies and gentlemen. When you're in Cincinnati, you come to Don Johnson Park, uh, Field. So uh, the next time you hear us... Ain't too far from here. Ain't not too far from this park? Well, maybe on Anthony and I's way out of town tomorrow, we'll be able to stop by. Go by Roseline. Roseline. All right. We'll, we'll do our best. Don't forget Roseline Park. Roseline Park. All right, sir. Thank you so much. We're going to take just a brief break so that Anthony and I can tell you about our first giveaway. I have a 2016 baseball stadium's wall calendar for sale through TF Publishing. They're available at amazon.com, calendars.com, as well as your local Meyer Big Lots, Stop and Shop and more. I'll include all this info about how you can purchase one of my uh, calendars at my website, roundingthird.net. But for now, Anthony has a very exciting announcement to tell you all about. So uh, we're going to have our first giveaway. It's a giveaway contest. Here, It's very simple. Uh, we are always looking for more trivia questions to ask our, our guests for, their, for the game that we play at the end. Um, so if you have any cool trivia questions about your favorite team or about any team that you love or anything, send them to us, please, at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at clubhousepod. And we will look through those and if we wind up using one of your questions we will give you a free signed wall calendar and it will be signed by Manish who was the photographer he will sign the Detroit Tigers Comerica Park picture and I will sign the Wrigley Field picture because I am a diehard Cubs fan so send us your questions please and uh, good luck if you are a new listener to the Clubhouse podcast welcome for more great baseball conversations take a look at our archives like our chat with film and television actor Joey Slotnick in this episode, Joey relives the memory of being in attendance for the infamous Steve Bartman game at Wrigley Field. So incredibly exciting. And I remember people around me, you know, when it got to it, it was like five more outs. I heard, I heard five more outs, five more outs. And they were saying it out loud. And I thought Don't to myself, I thought to myself, what do you, what do you, please, please be quiet. Don't oh say anything. God. And then, and then this thing happened. And of course there were, there's no replay. Uh-huh. You don't see a replay, but there was this. You know, off to like in front of me and just to the so left. You could see it. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah. And and you just kind of didn't know. You know, I mean, like everyone stood up when the when because you thought Moises was going to catch it, and then then you know, of course, a little up, upset by it and kind of running oh. around. And then, but you didn't know, and so people, of course, around you had headphones on. And you kind of looked here, but it was everyone was standing up, and there was a buzz, and you weren't quite sure what was going on. We now take you back to our seats, where Anthony and I discuss the All Star Game festivities. Hello again, everybody. It's been a while since you've heard the dulcet tones of our intrepid co-host. You've just had to, be, had to listen to myself drone on for a little bit here. But I am now rejoined by the wonderful Anthony Rapp as we sit here in Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati for the 2015 All-Star Game. Anthony, how have you been enjoying the amazing All-Star Game so far? I'm liking the game. It's uh, I got we got tweeted by somebody during the game asking what the atmosphere is like. If it's you know people are into the game or checking their phones, and I, 
Sally, I do believe it's a little bit of both. It's a little more, you know, there. Are, I think there are some people here who don't care about baseball as much as sometimes when you're in other stadiums, to some degree. Not. I don't think it's about the stadium. I think it's more about the experience. Anytime you go to a big event like this, there's a lot of corporate seats. There's a lot of gift seats. There's a lot of, I got this ticket for free. I'm going, you know, my, I'm bringing my wife or my husband or my, my children who don't necessarily care about baseball because it's a special event. So I think it's hard to judge a ballpark based on special events like this. I agree. Yeah. So... I'm not charging the ballpark. I'm saying like the, the ambiance of the game. That they were asking like, is being at the All-Star game different from being at other games? They oh, weren't asking certainly, about yes. So, but, so yeah, so I, I did say, yeah, sadly it feels like a little more of the latter than the former. Oh, you know, if it feels like the latter being less less excitement and more, you know, checking phones and sort of wandering around and stuff. Well, it is a lot more about the pageantry. It's a lot more about the celebrity sightings. Although, you know, this park has been just chock full of old timers. Uh, Hank Aaron was here. Willie Mays was here. Uh, uh, Johnny Bench was here. Sandy Koufax was here. But I think the one that, that was the coolest is that... Fans just got attacked by a bird. That was bird just attacked someone here in the sand. It just flew right into people. I think the bird's okay. It flew into a Cubs fan. <laughs> but the bird distracted us from the most crazy thing that happened, which was the hit king himself, Pete Rose, stepped foot on the grass of a Major League Baseball field. Is that, is that the first time I, since? I'm going to have to check. You know, I haven't had a time to watch a lot of MLB Network since we've been on the road here or, or read too much. So I'm not entirely sure, but it, it feels like I'm 99.9% .9 sure that this was the first time he stepped on the grass during an actual event uh, since being banned by Commissioner Paul, uh, Bart, I almost called him Paul, Bart Giamatti, Paul's father. Uh, but so, Anthony, let's just talk just a little bit. I mean, we'll talk more on the car ride home just because we need to focus on the game here. But we've now been in Cincinnati for about uh, two days. Uh, we had the home run derby last night. We had Fan Fest today. We had the block party. We had all these just ridiculousness what has been this is your first all-star game what has been your experience you know with the block party earlier today you did stop by fan fest briefly what are your thoughts on on just the whole ordeal um i'm not a big fan of like crazy crowd situations so you know i spent i stepped foot into the fan fest and just walked through the block party area it's a little crowded crazy for me so it's not my cup of tea per se but sure. I mean, it's nice to see it's nice to see cincinnati this town, you know, it's a really cool, smaller city. Have this opportunity to kind of be a host, and I feel like they've done a great job of that. They so absolutely have. It's you know, we were walking around the city. We met up again with uh, our host who who uh, let us crash in his house, Zach Slemmer. Uh, we we met up with him briefly today, and he was kind of walking us almost away from the ballpark. You know, seven, eight, nine, ten blocks away from the ballpark, close to a place called Over the Rhine. And, you know, being able to see this this city and, and just kind of walking around, everywhere I've been going, every storefront has kind of an all-star game decal in the window, or you see people wearing jerseys everywhere. You can feel the baseball emanating from this city. And it's a really cool, small, not small is the wrong word, but it's a really cool, unique town that I hadn't really spent that much time in before. Um, but as far as the game itself, so this is now the first all-star game you've attended live. What are you been thinking about just the experience of watching all of these all-stars on the same field at the same time? Is it, has interleague play maybe ruined some of it? Has, that is a stolen base. 
Was that Brock Holt? Was that Brock Holt? Yeah, it was Brock Holt, but he he Brock had he Yachty had him by a mile. Yeah, but he bounced it but in. He bounced he bounced the throw. But so um, you know, what do you think now? You know, we're seeing all these all stars, but is there does it feel as special to you now that you can watch all these guys at any point during the year? Yeah, because they don't play together, so it's cool to see them. Like we were talking about um, Kershaw pitching to. It was Granky you were talking about. No, but well, but it's the same but thing, same, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. It's, well, I was thinking. Actually, I was thinking it as I was watching Kershaw. You know, Granky and Kershaw both are Los Angeles Dodgers pitchers. They have to face Buster Posey as an opponent throughout the year, and then here they are working together as battery mates in a game that has implications, and that was kind of a cool thing to see. So maybe trying to see if maybe Posey's you know picking up something from Granky yeah, or I mean, if Granky's maybe I mean, pitching a little bit worse than he normally does to fool Posey into thinking this is what his mechanics are. You never know. But it's it's also nice to see. I mean, it's really nice to see really good pitchers. Oh, oh that is trouble. That is a okay, gapper well. for Mr. Manny Machado, and the American League has taken the lead. No, they already had the. Lead. I'm sorry, has extended the lead. I should have said uh, four to two. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we've had, we've had, the, the AL has had better hits against a couple of the uh, AL, of the NL pitchers, which is interesting. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I like seeing all these players. Sure, it's really fun that you get to see all these different pitchers. That you get to see, that's one of the most important things for me is to see a bunch of different pitchers in one game. That is actually really cool. I mean, we were just, before the mics turned on, we were kind of getting a little bit perturbed about the fact that, uh, although he is a phenomenal player, why Mike Trout was still in this game taking, I believe it was his fourth at-bat. It was his fourth at-bat. You should never have four at-bats in an All-Star game. I know this time it counts. But I would like to see all of the other reserves get in the game. That is the point of the All-Star game. Um, but, yeah, seeing the, the, the pitchers all coming out here has been getting to see Keiko and and Felix and Price and Kershaw and Granky and you know it's just I, I could keep on listing these guys over and over again, all in the same game is pretty cool, um, and uh, now we actually have uh, some fans that Anthony was referring to who are currently leaving the game despite it only being the seventh inning. The seventh inning stretch hasn't even happened yet, and they are leaving the game. Well, they probably don't love baseball the way. We love baseball, but, you know, yeah. I guess, but, you know, in my opinion, then, don't come to the game and leave those seats for the people that actually love baseball. For All-Star Games, for World Series, for big games, I want baseball people. You know me. 162 games out of the year, I embrace the casuals. I love casual fans coming to the ballpark. I have no problem with people who don't love baseball coming to the ballpark. But I know a lot of hardcore, dedicated baseball fans that would kill to be sitting in this ballpark right now. And so for them, maybe don't leave in the seventh inning, but I digress. Do you have any final thoughts before we shut off this recording and focus on this game? As that ball Prince just is, balls. Prince hits the ball hard, but that was unfortunately uh, was a sack fly. It was a sack fly. It was a sack fly, but the way that comes off the bat, he just murders balls. Yeah, he, murders, he just they, he hits they, it so well. The ball's like, I'm sorry, my wife and children, I left my house to you because I am murdered by Prince Fielder. <laughs> That's why I said, unfortunately, because every time he, oh, I'm sorry, one second. Anthony, you're going to have to hold this while I take pictures of J.D. Martinez. Yeah, see, Munish is, a, a, you know, as we've talked about so many times, he's a Tigers fan. So, And he also, you can look on the pod, podcast website, clubhousepodcast.com. 
Clubhouse.com. Yes, sir. Thank you for knowing our website. Clubhousepodcast.com. Uh, and that will um, uh, that will show you many pictures that he's taken at this game and at others. Yes, yeah, so thank you for knowing the website, Anthony. Clubhousepodcast.com is a photo section. You can see photos of all the games that Anthony and I have been going to. I think we're going to have to let you guys go now, though, because it's about to be the seventh inning stretch, and I feel a lot of noise about to rain down on this ballpark. So we will talk to you next time when we're in the car, when we can really fully digest our all-star weekend, our all-star game experience. It's been a lot of fun. We'll see you guys in a couple seconds. All-star weekend had come to a close, but the excitement for Anthony and I did not end with the final pitch. We got the opportunity to spend time with some World Series winners after the game. It was the perfect ending to this leg of Anthony's 30 stadium journey. We take you now to a rental car where we wrap up our thoughts on our latest road trip adventures. Welcome back into our car as we head north from Cincinnati to Chicago on 65 North. It has been a very long couple of weeks, Anthony, starting in LA, then going to New York, then Chicago, then Milwaukee, then Minnesota, then Kansas City, then back to Chicago, then Cincinnati, now back to Chicago before finally we are flying back to our respective homes in New York City tonight. It's been a really great couple of weeks. So for all of you out there listening, if you haven't been following along with this tour, jump on back to our Angels episode and start from there because you got a lot to catch up on. Last night, we went to the 2015 Major League Baseball All-Star Game and the night just um, just kept on getting crazier and crazier and better and more fun. Anthony, what did you think about your first ever Major League Baseball All-Star Game? thought it was really nice and the I mean the weather it was like the most perfect summer weather situation of being in a what is one of my favorite ballparks um certainly in the National League anyway it's one of the it's certainly top tier the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati um and we had uh thanks to Hal Morris my my brother-in-law who's a former Cincinnati Reds World Series winner um he was able to hook us up with these really great seats and they were in the upper deck and normally on our tour we've been sitting in the on the you know first or third baseline on the field on the field level and uh so it was it was nice also to have that different perspective i mean i ultimately do prefer sitting closer just to be able to really see the players and the the at-bats same way i like to go see theater you know sit close um but for the view at that stadium if you are in the upper deck at that stadium on the especially on the third baseline where we were in in the in the left field section the the view of the river and the hills across the river you know in the sunset the clouds uh, it was fun. it was beautiful it was really beautiful <laughs> i'm so happy that the weather ended up turning out to be good if you guys remember on our way to cincinnati i was being a bit of a nervous nelly and i was was obsessively tracking the weather apps and it looked like it was going to be thunderstorms, and it did end up raining very, very, very hard right before the game. But by the time first pitch came around, it was spectacular. And if for those of you who remember listening to our earlier Cincinnati Reds episode, I believe it was episode 13 of the podcast, 
I was bemoaning the fact that Anthony did not get to really experience Great American Ballpark in nice weather. It was raining the night that we were there as well. So for you to be able to have seen it under the sun and just see that that stadium shine, I was very, very happy because it is one of my, uh, you know, it's, it's a top tier ballpark for me. It's one of my more favorite ballparks uh, in the country. Uh, and also I want to echo Anthony's statement that Hal is the absolute best. He, you know, I, I cannot thank him enough. You know, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, Hal, for hooking us up with some amazing seats, some just great experiences, and um, wish you could have been here with us, buddy, but uh, we'll have you on the podcast sometime soon. So the game in and of itself was pretty exciting. Um, the American League ended up winning, so you know which one of us is happy about that. Uh, myself, uh, Anthony, was obviously rooting for the for the home team. You know, this is the first time on our tour where we were sitting together at a ballpark rooting against each other because when the Tigers and the Cubs played each other earlier this year, we were, were you in LA then? I believe you were in LA and I was in New York and we were texting with each other. uh, But this is the first time sitting next to each other where we were against each other. I think we did okay. Yeah, totally. I, because it's interesting, usually you do root for the home team in whatever ballpark you're visiting. Um, the only time that you didn't until last night uh, was when we went to see the, the Cubs at, at City Field, um, where you were un, un, in an unlikely move. You decided to root for the Cubs. I'm not sure why, because it goes against your fi- the, every fiber of your being, but. Maybe you could explain yourself a little bit. I did that for you, sir. I did that. You are absolutely right. It does go against every fiber of my being, and it was incredibly difficult for me to do that because, as you all know, I like rooting for the home team, except in special circumstances, which is all-star games, playoff games, games where I do have a vested interest in the outcome of the game. And in that Cubs-Mets series, here was my vest- here was my, my why it mattered to me. I was about to spend a couple weeks in the car with you, and it would have been miserable if the Mets had to swept in the Cubs. And I just said, please, Cubs, win these three games so that we can start this next Midwest tour off on a good note. But, um, yeah, those three Mets games, once again, you have to listen a couple episodes back to hear our thoughts on, on that series. But, I mean, what kicked off this one was the Angels game way back when. And so just to recap, just a, bri- uh, a bit, we saw an Angels game, then we saw... Uh, three Cubs-Mets games, then we saw a White Sox game, then a Cubs game, then a Brewers game, then a Twins game, then a Royals game, then the All-Star game. We've been watching a lot of baseball. We've seen some good games. They were Almost all of those games were pitchers' duels, um, at least for a good chunk of them. Um, and then and uh, of that batch, the, the Twins game, they kind of blew it open at a certain point. Um, but it was pretty close. It was pretty tight and close until later innings in that game. And and last night, you know, it's the All Star game, so there was some very good pitching. But uh, interestingly enough, you know, it's it, these are tiny sample sizes, of course, as we know when you're watching an All Star game. But you know, Clayton Kershaw in these big moments in the last couple of years in the postseason has faltered in high pressure situations. And last night he came in uh, as the third pitcher I want to say for the National League third or fourth um and he gave up the lead or the he, it was a tie um he he gave he well yeah he, he gave up the lead I guess is what you say or no when you give up the lead is when you have the lead and you give up the lead so he it was a tie ball game and uh the American League went on to win the game after going ahead for good in that inning 
we gave up essentially the winning run, although that wasn't the, the run across the plate wouldn't be exactly the winning run, but you are correct. It is Clayton's fault that uh, the AL was able to take the lead. And our friend um, Mac Aston, Mackenzie Aston, who's a guest on our podcast, which I think you're going to air before this? You will, the, yes. The, the Mackenzie uh, episode will have been several weeks before this, so you will have heard the wonderful and amazing Mackenzie Aston, uh, his amazing stories. So he was he sent me a text after the game apologizing on behalf of his Dodgers because Granky gave up a run and, and Clayton gave up two runs, so... Uh, the, the three runs were ultimately the difference. The, the American League won the game 6-3. to three. Um, So in a way, it's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> but it was an, an incredibly fun game. I mean, the game in and of itself moved insanely fast, save for the 45-minute commercial breaks. Like, it's, it's I understand it's, it's a national game, it's special, but oh my goodness, pace of play. Wow. I mean, that, the, 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 it was amazing. Like every time I would bring my camera up for a second, preparing my, I guess like my internal clock is set to the regular commercial breaks for a, a game. And I would pull my camera up and I look around and be like, hey, why isn't he on the mound? And then I realize, oh yeah, we still got another minute to, minute or two of TV breaks, which is kind of frustrating. But the game was fantastic. This was my first All Star game going primarily as a fan. I still had kind of my journalistic hat on for you nice folks out there, but for the most part, I was there as a fan and as opposed to in the press box. And it's it's really kind of an electric atmosphere when you're sitting inside of a game like that. So basically, we had a blast at the All-Star game. But that's only the beginning of the story. By this point, you will have heard the just surreal uh, interview that we did with... Don Johnson, Don Groundhog Johnson. Yeah, not the Miami Vice star. Yes, not the Miami Vice star, but the tremendous Negro Leagues second baseman. I'm telling you, it was I was getting chills down my spine listening to this guy speak off the mic and on the mic. He was so quick, so fast, so, you know, just for an 89-year-old man, I believe that, as he mentioned in his interview, had he not had those two strokes, he could probably still school most of us in, in baseball. You know, the guy is just a tremendous, tremendous guy. So that was really fun. I mean, Anthony, uh, you know, you got a chance to chat with him just a little bit. What did you think about meeting Don Johnson? I mean, it's just stunning. It was interesting. When he walked in, I mean, he was, you know, pretty pretty feeble on his feet. Uh, you know, he had a cane and his, his grandson was assisting him. There was some sort of aura about him, even when he walked in. I didn't, I couldn't tell what it was, but I found myself kind of like just really drawn to him. And, uh, you know, and his grandson sort of said hello to us as he was helping his grandfather into, I mean, they were literally directly in front of us. And I don't even remember how it came up, but it just makes sense now. The aura, he had the aura. It's like if you're around, I would think it's around any kind of superstar of some bygone era, that they would probably still have something about, and I'm not even saying he was necessarily a superstar of the Negro Leagues, but he was certainly, he he was a veteran of this incredible experience and a, kind of an elder statesman. And there were people around us who were also recognizing him and, and, and sort of the word got out and people were also enchanted by him. But it was, it was that kind of gravitational pull toward his energy that I felt immediately. And it wasn't simply that he was an elderly, somewhat feeble man. It was, there was some kind of, he has he's got some stuff going on that that was clearly demonstrated in the way that he t 
talked to Munish on the mic and then the way he was talking to all the people who were coming around him to hear his stories and take pictures with them and that was it was very 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 inspiring especially after having been in the negro leagues museum and you know learning that much more about all the things that they went through and you know and and at the game there was one of the nicer things of the of the sort of ceremonies before the game is they announced what they call the franchise four for each team um and if you don't know, you know, much more about that, go, you know, MLB.com, I'm sure, has all kinds of coverage. No, not MLB.com. Clubhousepodcast.com will have plenty of information on the franchise for So please, go to MLB.com gets enough traffic. Clubhousepodcast.com. We'll link you over to everything. Okay. Well, uh, fine. Um, so they did, you know, for all 30 teams, they, the fans had voted on who they consider their franchise for, the, 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 the quintessential players for each team. And then at the end of all of that, they had the living legends of the game, which had also been voted on of like who were the absolute best living legends. So ultimately on the field, the franchise four were just sort of, you know, on the scoreboard and they didn't come out, you know, because it would have been like, you know, 120 <laughs> people. Um, but the living legends came to the field and it was Hank Aaron and Johnny Bench and Willie Mays and I'm sorry. And Sandy Koufax. Sorry, thank you. Uh, so it was the four of them on the field. And here, Don Johnson is ahead of us, is, you know, one seat ahead of us saying that, he, you know, he played with Willie Mays. Against. And against, you know, but in the leagues with them. Yeah. No, Not yeah, a, yeah. I just say that because he, he corrected me. I said the same thing and he corrected me. He was well, quick to say I played against them. because no, he, he like they were in the leagues. They played with each other oh, no, I get and that. against each other. But you know what I mean? Like they weren't on the same team, but they were in the same league. So they played baseball with them. That's no, I understand. I, mean. I say it's like, you know, Mike Trout plays baseball with people from the Texas Rangers when he's playing on the field with them. They're playing together. Yeah. I, I, I said, well, well, the reason I corrected you is because he I said the same thing to him with the same intention. And he very quickly corrected me. I think in his mind, he did not play with Willie and Hank. In his mind, he played against them. And, and so, so that's why I wanted to make that distinction for, for Don, because he made sure to correct me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Anthony, you couldn't have put it, I couldn't put it any better than what you just said. I mean, when he walked in, yeah, my eye was directly on him. And once again, I had no idea who this gentleman was. But, you know, you say he wasn't a superstar. I think he may have been a superstar. The guy's got a field named after him, which unfortunately we weren't able to drop by and see. But it just gives me another excuse to come back to Cincinnati as soon as possible. And, you know, there were several people around us who actually just flat out recognized him, you know, just by sight. And so I feel like, especially in that Cincinnati community, Don is uh, a pretty well-known guy, which actually, it's a little teaser. There's another gentleman that we met later on the night that knew Don very, very well. Uh, but we'll get to that in a bit. So after our interview with Don, we were sitting there, we watched the game. It was a good time. And all of a sudden, Anthony shows me his phone, and there's a tweet on the phone. And the tweet is from an actor, a choreographer named Carl warden and in it it's basically saying hey did i see you walking around the all-star game what are you doing here i'd love to meet you his next tweet was oh and by the way my father played for the 68 tigers anthony showed me the tweet referencing the 68 tigers and my brain broke and i said we need to meet this gentleman as soon as humanly possible and thanks to the wonder of twitter we were able to connect and direct message one another. By the way, 
Our Clubhouse podcast Twitter is at Clubhouse Pod. Follow us now. And all of a sudden, Carl's sitting next to us. So Carl comes and he finds us and he's sitting next to Anthony and I. So thanks to the wonder of Twitter, thanks to the beauty of Twitter, Carl ended up uh, direct messaging me and we got back and forth and he was sitting in the front gate patio section and Anthony and I were sitting a couple of sections to his left. And at a certain point, he texted me. We had exchanged phone numbers at this point and he had texted me and said, hey, stand up and wave to me. I wanna see if I can see you. And I stand up and I start waving. And there he is, a couple of sections to the right. I see him in a, in a white Detroit Tigers shirt waving frantically at me. And it was just, it was a scene out of a wacky romantic comedy of, of just two people far away from one another, not quite being able to, so close, but so far. But Carl decided to make the trek over and, and walk over to our section and sat with Anthony and I. And I mean, it was just an immediate connection. It was the three of us started talking to each other as if we'd known each other for 50 years. And I really do credit this to baseball, to theater, to Twitter, to just the ability that we as humans have to find these great connections. You know, it's when I did my 30 stadium tour, one of the things I loved about it was the fact that no matter where you are at a ballpark, as an adult, it's the only place that I could find where you could actually make new friends. It's the only place where people were so open and willing and ready to just talk to you. And I honestly believe that that is what we witnessed last night. Carl, he sees we're baseball fans, tweets at us, come over, let's just chat. And all of a sudden, we're talking about his career. We're talking about our careers. We're talking about the podcast. We're talking about baseball. We're talking about music. And we're, talk we're, just, we're just having a great conversation. And uh, I, I had met Carl like years ago through a mutual friend, but I didn't exactly remember the meeting, but he certainly looked familiar to me. So it wasn't like completely, totally random. And also we have another mutual friend in LA. So there, who had also, when he saw that we were tweeting each other was like, you guys, hi, you know, so there were like these other, sure, of course. other connections, you know, which is always part of the modern world too, which is the world is just entirely tiny in all <laughs> ways when you get right down to it. So it was a wonder, yeah, it was a wonderful coincidence um, that turned into a really nice new connection and a new friend. He is, he's, he's the best. And, you know, it's, we were sitting there and obviously I, you know, was asking him some questions about his father and he was like, you know what? He would love to meet you. Why don't you come over to the, you know, to our section and, and, and say hello. And the game was about to end. And so we basically watched the final out and then ran down the steps to try and find Carl and uh, his people. And we walk into the front gate patio section and there he is wearing an orange tiger shirt, the home tiger's hat, a 1968 World Series ring on his finger, Mr. John Warden. And you know, I've gotten to meet a lot of cool people in my life. I've got to interview a lot of cool people in my life. I've got to hang out with a lot of cool people in my life. The 68 Tiger is something special to me. And my little brain and my little heart were a flutter and I just started barraging this poor guy <laughs> with questions about playing with K-Line, playing with Norm Cash, playing just, you know, what it was like. And, and he told me that he has the Major League Baseball record for he is the only relief pitcher, pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball. He was the quickest to three wins. He basically won three games as a reliever coming into the game late and winning three games. Within the first, I believe it was 10 games of the season. And so he got to a 3-0 record faster than anybody. 
you know, I wanted to talk to him about Willie, about Willie Horton, about, you know, in the 1968 World Series when Willie came running out of the uh, uh, Tiger Stadium during the race riots in Detroit in his full uniform, standing on cars, begging people, hey, stop. We're not going to be able to finish this game if you don't stop killing each other and hurting each other. And and it worked. <laughs> you know, the 68 World Series actually helped bring Detroit together and helped I'm not going to say solve the racial issues, but it certainly helped it taking a huge step in the right direction. And, and John was there for all of it. John got to witness and was a part of it and, and helped the city of Detroit. It was just, it was something special. Um, you got a chance to talk to John a little bit as well. I think I monopolized his time, but what'd you think about meeting John? It was really, he was so uh, open and gregarious and, and warm and it was uh, Carl and his sister and, and their mom and, and John all there together. And the, the, every year they've been, for the past few years, they've been coming together for the All-Star Game. I mean, the, the, the Wardens live in the Cincinnati area. And, and uh, so that they, they use the, they, this was an extra special opportunity for them to have a family reunion as well as come to the All-Star Game. Because John has continued to go on to do a lot of fantasy camp stuff. And he works with MLB.com on all sorts of different projects. And he's involved with like the... MLB veterans and stuff. I mean, there's all, we didn't even, we barely scratched the surface in terms of knowing his involvement, but you know, to, he, he was only able to play a couple of seasons of, of major league ball because he had a, 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 a career ending rotator cuff injury. But, um, it's very cool. It was cool for me to, to also know that, you know, this, his rookie season, he wins the world series. <laughs> he's only able to play for one more season and he still has this level of dedication and involvement in the game. Um, oh, you can feel the passion coming out of him. You can feel the love coming out of him. You know, we were just talking about the modern day players. We were talking about, I mean, you can feel his, and the, the guy is telling me stories about Ken Griffey senior about, I mean, well, he was the gentleman actually, you know, surprise, surprise. He was the gentleman who was like, Oh, Don Johnson. Oh, Don was an old coach. Who did like, he knew Don well. And it's like the guy knows everybody. And and it's just, it's, we're going to hopefully try to get him on the podcast once he comes to New York, because you guys just need to hear his stories. I apologize for not pulling out my recorder when we were chatting with him, but I just, I didn't want to. I was in the moment and I was having a bit of a fan moment. And, you know, it was just so, so special. And then another gentleman shows up from the 1990 Cincinnati Reds team. Just, I mean, once again, talk about how small of a world, Hal Morris the gentleman who hooked us up so nicely for the All-Star Game was also on that 1990 Cincinnati Reds team. And Mr. Ron Robinson all of a sudden shows up and starts showing off his Cincinnati. He tells me this is what a real World Series ring looks like. You know, obviously teasing me a little bit because their ring is considerably more blinged out than the more uh, subtle 1968 World Series ring. But uh, you were chatting with Ron quite a bit. Uh, What was that like? It was cool. I mean, he he had really fond memories of of playing with Hal. Uh, he and then when I told Hal afterwards, you know, that I'd run into him, he's like immediately said, "Oh yeah, the creature," which is his nickname. All the you know, all the ballplayers have so many nicknames. Like <laughs> Don Johnson, his nickname was the Groundhog. You know, like I think I think between the names of every Negro Leagues ball player, there was a, a nickname in quotes, like even on their Hall of Fame plaques. You know, they all had the nickname. So I think that that's very typical of baseball, but it was just funny that as soon as I texted Hal that he was like, the creature, <laughs> he's a good guy. <laughs> so no, it was, it was cool. And, and, and his son is, was like a musical theater kid. So it was just nice to have that connection to, you know, there, there's the, the world's, the, the world's circle and circle and circle and, in, in, in very, very cool ways. No, absolutely. So, I mean, 
the entire I didn't even get to touch on the fact that um, after so by the time you guys are listening to this, you will have heard the Zach Hample uh, interview that I did. But with Zach, I ended up uh, taking part a little bit in BP with him and kind of watching the madness that is an all-star game batting practice. And, you know, just I want to make one thing. I want to say one thing on the record, and we will have Zach on this podcast later on down the line. I saw that man give away balls to people. I saw that man helping other people, teaching them how to get balls. So for any of you out there who've heard some some negativity about Zach Hample, the man who caught A-Rod's 3,000 home run, don't listen to the press. I've seen it with my own eyes. The guy's a good dude. But um, ultimately, the reason I bring it up is just is just this this entire weekend, this entire couple of weeks has been so amazing. And to be able to end it in Cincinnati with these great players from all different eras, from the 40s, from the 60s, from the 90s, it's just, it is so amazing. And and I cannot recommend going to an All-Star game enough. I know it's tough. I know it can be expensive. I know it's tough to get tickets. But when the All-Star game comes to your town, do what you can to try and be a part of the festivities. Even if you can't get to the game itself, you know, the fan fest, the, the, there's always guys walking around signing autographs. You know, the block party, as Anthony mentioned yesterday, was kind of nuts and was kind of crazy but depending on the time of day you go I mean they had a zip line here they had batting cages they had you know carny games they had great food they had great beer they had great everything the all-star game is is really quite a unique experience it really kind of takes over a town I think Anthony agrees um you gotta say yes this is a, this is a podcast you gotta uh, audibly agree with me hopefully so I think that's going to wrap up our, our discussion of the all-star festivities. We wanted to talk a little bit about kind of this time of year and really just baseball in general. One of the things that happens is predictions. And people always ask me specifically, who are you predicting for the World Series? Who are you predicting for, you know, MVP? Who are you predicting for this? Anthony, what are your thoughts on first just the idea of predictions in baseball? I mean, it's just like everything else, it's a little silly. I mean, there's all sorts of examples, especially in the last several years, where certain teams um, based in Detroit were predicted to uh, win the World Series every year. <laughs> Why? Why? Why stick the needle in me? That's not necessary. I'm just saying. So, um, <laughs> you know, and it's all, you know, this, this season is, I think, rife with examples of first place teams that no one would have given a chance to be in first place, like the Houston Astros at the, at the break, they're in first place, for instance, and uh, other teams that are way underperforming. Like, you know, you you like, you like do say that you didn't think the Padres were going to be all that, and they certainly have not been all that, but I think there were a lot of people who were disagreeing with you in the prediction world. So I just thought it would be interesting to sort of just talk in general about the nature of these things. And I think, I, I assume that a lot of it is for clickbait, you know, trying to just get more traffic and you know, the, uh, it's, it's sort of an easy debate topic, I guess. But it's, it's an interesting thing because one of the beauties about any sports, really, but especially baseball, which is so grindy and 162 games and all that, is that uh, there, are, there are some times when, yeah, f- huge front runners emerge and they kind of go wire to wire, like the 1990 Reds. 
but more often than not, especially in the last few years, there've been so many stories of like teams that you thought were sure locks that either barely make it into the postseason or don't even ever make it into the postseason. So, you know, I, I know that this is going to air. You, you will be listening to this, you know, a, quite a bit of time after we're now recording it. But I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about where the season we are and what people are saying now and whether that is going to be true or not. And, you know, sort of have fun thinking back on some of the intense collapses like the 1969 Cubs, for instance, you know, who were... I don't even I don't know the exact number, but they were so far in the lead in the in the NL East, and then they lost it in the last month of the season. And the Mets came through, and the Mets that was the miracle the year of the Miracle Mets, you know. So any the point is anything could happen, of course. But I just thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about the nature of this. Absolutely, and you know you're right. You know it's something that I've I've been working in sports for most of my adult life, and it's one of the most you you hit the nail completely right on on the head as far as it being very clickbaity and very debate friendly and very just look we got 24 hours of fill so let's just start using it by yelling and screaming at each other and when it comes to predictions i never used to do them i never really liked doing them when i had the magazine we did some of them here and there but i made it very very clear to folks that nobody knows what they're talking about the experts the non nobody knows it's uh, because the most frustrating thing to me was if I'm going to make a prediction, I want to stand by it. And if I have a 10-year span where I all my predictions are wrong, then I need to stop making predictions. Like, there's no reason what makes you an expert anymore, what makes you someone who should be able to say who is going to win and who isn't. There's 162 games. It is literally impossible to predict on, an, on a regular basis. Sure, can you get lucky every once in a while? I did last year. I predicted the 2014 San Francisco Giants to win the World Series, which is why I bring it up all the time because I've never been right before and I will bang that drum for the rest of my life that I actually got one right. Never thought it would happen. But when it comes to predictions, and as you mentioned, what I love is watching the predictions happen during the season. So let's just say in 2014, the Oakland A's, one, they were the World Series champions in June and July. Actually, at a certain point in 2014, the A's, the Angels, and the Tigers were all crowned champions. It was, why even, why even have the game? They're going to win. And collectively, the A's, the Angels, and the Tigers won zero playoff games. So I'm just saying that it is interesting to look at what people are talking about, but just like kind of we're doing right now, you use it to fill time. You know, there's really no... You're using it to fill time. It's fun. To me, it's fun to to look at the examples in, in either direction. Oh, no. I, 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 like, I like looking at the examples in either direction, historically speaking. I think it's hard for me to look at examples predicting the future. I've never been a man who's believed in tarot cards and believed in palm reading. And I believe that a lot of this is just that. Well, I mean, it's not exactly that because it's there. There are various statistical things you can look at. Over there's enough of a sample size in the season at this point that they can look at you know a club's ERA and the and their batting average that can give you some indication their their run differential stuff like that. Which but we don't you know, know why those things are happening. That's the problem. Is that yes, right now that sample size is big enough to be able to say hey they've been playing well in the past for the last X amount of months they've done this well that well and the other thing well, but looking forward 
it could all turn on a dime tomorrow. And that's the one thing that I love about baseball because it is so ridiculously unpredictable. So as you said, so right now, you know, we apologize that this is going to be dating the episode a little bit, but let's just think about it. Who are the teams that are being talked about that should be there in the end as of this moment? Well, I don't know. Honestly, I don't. I haven't been reading that much at the moment, but I can tell you, like at, at the at the recording, the the teams in the lead in their various divisions. Let's just take that alone. So at the at the recording, the NL East is being led by the Washington Nationals. The NL Central is being led by the St. Louis Cardinals. The NL West is being led by the LA Dodgers. The two wild card teams in the NL right now are the Pirates and the Cubs. Um, very close behind them are the Giants and the Mets. I think the Mets first, and then the Giants. But everything, you know, they're sort of bunched up. The Cardinals are being nipped at the heels right now by Pirates in the division lead as well. And uh, the I think their Nationals have a little more comfortable lead against the Mets in, in their division. And the and the Dodgers, I you know, have a bit of a comfortable lead in the in the West. But every there's a lot of teams sort of swirling. There's a and I honestly don't know of those, I guess I've talked about seven teams at this point. It seems to me looking forward that it's probably going to be those of those seven. I don't know. There may be, I don't know who the upstart would be that could come in and swoop in out of nowhere. I, I suppose that's possible. But uh, I don't know what people are saying in terms of, I mean, before the season, I think a lot of people are saying the Washington Nationals are going to win the World Series because of their pitching staff. Right? Isn't that? Isn't oh, God, yeah. That, yeah, that, no, was, absolutely. that was one of the big predictions. So, you know, and they got off to kind of a terrible start and. So it'll again, it'll be interesting to see it's if they're going to hold on to their division lead, if they're, you know, if they're going to who's going to wind up with the best record in the league in terms of what that does to how the playoff schedule shakes out and who has home field advantage throughout the playoffs and all that stuff. Um, So do you I don't know if you've seen any other things about what people are saying about who they're predicting of that mix to be in it at the end. No, sadly, unlike you, you know, I've been on the, you know, we've been driving so much and on the road that, that my obsessively checking MLB.com and, and, uh, uh, the network, I mean, we haven't had the network for a couple of weeks. That's been the thing that I've been missing the most is, uh, here when we were at the all-star game, I got a glimpse of, of the MLB network, uh, bug, the network bug, the logo. And that just made me so happy for a moment because I missed, I missed that logo. So, I mean, look, like you said, it's, it's right now. You have said that it'll be hard for you to see one of those seven teams not make it. And I will say, and I have no idea who is going to, I can all be- oh, I meant like one of, the, one of those teams that's not among those seven that I mentioned to swoop in. I don't know if there's another team that's nipping at the heels. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I apologize. I see what you're only, saying. only five of those teams can make it. Yeah, 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 of yeah. course. So there's going to be two of those teams that, are, that aren't going to be in it at the end. Sure. Um, and, you know, and it's- there's no way to know that. I will say, as a as a Cubs fan, to be to be even in the conversation for the first time in six seven years is just kind of cool, you know. And it's one of the nice things because we've been in the rebuilding phase, and I, you know, as the season began for myself, I wasn't I was not expected to be in the mix, but I was expecting that we'd be competitive and that we'd be you know have have gotten better because we we were getting better year to year anyway, and the pieces were falling that much more into place. But it's, so it's kind of cool to be in the middle of a possible playoff race for the first time in all these years. And so I'm, I'm excited by that personally. Um, I do have my second team that I root for when the Cubs are out of it, which is the Pittsburgh Pirates, having spent so much time in Pittsburgh and working there and been to PNC so many times and being very happy for a team that went 20 years without even having a winning season, let alone being in the playoffs. So when they first made it back to the playoffs a couple of years ago, I was thrilled for them. Um, 
So like, so I have I have a couple horses in this race. You know, my friendship with Mac now. I, I'm I'm interested in what the Dodgers are going to do for his sake, and and if if both of those teams that I mentioned are out of it, I will be rooting for the Dodgers. You know, so it's it's I like having these I like having these relationships to the various teams and and having, you know, in somewhat in a, of an investment because I love playoff baseball. Period. Even if I don't have a horse in the race, you know, I love watching it. Whoever's playing, and then I always pick up on who I'm going to root for. You know, as we go. Um, so that's the NL side. As of as of this recording on the AL side, I have to even maybe double check this because the AL East has been so incredibly volatile all season. And I think the last time I looked, there was only like the last place team, I think was only four games or four and a half, five games out of first place. And every other team was within two or three games of each other. So this this division is who knows? I mean, if you even try to predict, you'd be an idiot, let alone you're probably an idiot anyway for trying to predict. But um I believe so. At the at the last time I checked, the the Yankees were in first um, in the AL East. Uh, in the AL Central, uh, it was the Royals, and in the AL West, uh, it was. Um, uh, where's my brain? Hi, brain. We're, we're... I think the Angels overtook the uh, Astros. Did they overtake them? They're very close. It's like the Angels and the Astros are nipping at each other's heels. Um, so that was, that's a case right there where the Astros, I don't think anyone p- picked them to be winning their division. Um, I mean, everybody was sort of like the Cubs where, you know, it's this young rebuilding team where they've been getting better and, you know, there's, like, there's exciting things happening, but they thought they were still a ways away. For them to be playing as well as they have for as, as long as they have all first half of the season, it's kind of, as a baseball fan, it's kind of cool to see that happen, I think, even though I don't like Houston. I have residual feelings about the Astros because they were such bastards to us for so many years in the NL Central until they moved over to the American League, which I'm a fan of, by the way, because I like that all divisions now are five team divisions and that there's not the weird NL Central that has six teams and the weird AL West that has four teams. That was unfair. So I'm glad that they're there. Um, I'm glad that they're there as a baseball sense and I'm not, I don't like Houston, so I'm not thrilled that they're there from a baseball fan sense. Um, so I believe the wildcard teams at this point, it's a mix between the Angels slash Astros, the Twins um, slash Tigers or somewhere in the mix um, of that. And I don't think, it doesn't seem like the AL East is going to allow one of those teams to emerge as a wildcard team because they're, they're beating up on each other too much. So anyway, they, these are, you know, people were picking the Blue Jays because of, I mean, th- here's a, to talk about run differential. I saw last night during the All-Star game, they, they have all these sorts of different stats of teams and players for their first half of the season, like where they rank. And somewhere, I forget where I saw it exactly, but they were like, the Blue Jays have by far the highest run differential of any team in baseball. Like they are scoring so many more runs than any other team that they've played, but they have like one of the worst other records in terms of other some other things so that's why they're playing like nearly 500 ball even though they're scoring so many more runs there was another factor i can't remember if it's i don't remember if it was era or whatever it was that they just it's this strange anomaly statistical anomaly that they are that that you just again you can never predict so they must be sometimes getting shut out and then other times just blowing out the opponent i mean who knows you know these weird weird things um I mean, we've seen them now several times this year, and they can absolutely put runs on the board. But then they love giving those run back runs back very, very quickly. Like it's they lose a lot of of weird games where they'll score six and then have twelve scored on them. Like it's just they just 
they're a very schizophrenic team. You know, they don't have a lot of great pitching. Um, they got a lot of great offense. I mean, they have a lot of great pitching in theory, but it doesn't seem to do well. It's what happens with a lot of teams where on the nights when you hit, you don't pitch, and the nights when you pitch, you don't hit. And it's the frustrating saga of a baseball fan is to have to sit there and watch and try to understand why can't you put it all together just once, please, please just one night, put it all together. It'd be so lovely, so lovely. I also, uh, as a baseball fan, like last year in the in the postseason, which was, it was so exciting to see what was going on with the Royals. It was, again, I, as a, you know, because of my relationship with the Cubs and sort of underdogs in general or long-suffering franchises, I have a, I, I, I drift toward them in my heart. And it's been, it had been so many years, 29 years since the Royals had even been to the postseason at all. And for them to go on the kind of run they went on was so thrilling to watch in the way that they steamrolled their way into the World Series by setting the record for the most wins in a row in the postseason and and then to go down to the wire in the seventh game of the World Series and have the tying run on third and barely lose that game. I mean, that was just some of the most exciting postseason baseball I've ever seen. So it's been cool as a baseball fan to see them. You know, I think some teams, they get that close, and the next year they sometimes I think they would just sort of like be so frustrated that they might fall apart. There have been some cases of that happening, you know, from, from first to worst kind of situation and it's been cool to see them continue to put it together this season that they're right as of this recording and as of the all-star break they have the best record in the american league and um so i i applaud that as a baseball fan i think that's kind of cool and i would be in terms of predictions i would be very very surprised to see them have some sort of collapse in the in the second half but again you know as you as you listen to this they might have faltered you know they might have lost 20 out of 24 who knows um of the other teams, I mean, I who know the, the AL East? Like, what the hell is going on there? I don't even know. So I don't really have any other like horses in this race. Of course, you as my friend, if the Tigers are in it, I, of course I'm going to be supporting them also for your sake. I do have also my heart with the Royals, which I've expressed to you. So you know, if it comes down to Tigers and Royals, you know, of course I would be rooting for the Tigers, but I would also not be sad if the Royals won. But I'd be sad for you. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. It's all right. Like I said, I am, you know, when I'm in the moment, the Tigers are the only thing that matters. But, you know, I, I, as I've said a thousand times, you know, I started my 30 stadium tour as a Tigers fan, but I ended as a baseball fan. I am, I love baseball. I love good baseball. That Royals A's game last year, the, the wild card game, was quite possibly the best baseball game I'd ever seen from first pitch to final out. Like I was, it was amazing. It was so crazy exciting. I, I, I love good baseball. Was I intensely annoyed that the Royals did what they did last year in the moment? Yes. I will never not deny that. Um, I will never not deny that. You will never deny it. Thank you. Double negative time. I will never. <laughs> I was thinking never not funny for some reason. Uh, uh, I, I had Jimmy Pardo on the brain because of our our Royals bets. Because I'm I'm afeared that I'm going to be losing forty bucks here uh, at the end of the season. So uh, never uh, deny that I was intensely annoyed. And also, like I said I was rooting for the Giants because they were my preseason pick and because of my friend Barbara, et cetera, et cetera. But you know. Now, and once again, now after we've gone back to Kansas City, I, I said it in our Kansas City episode that I fell back in love with that fan base, that they are just so sweet and nice 
and generous and I really enjoyed I, I love their ballpark I love their team so I mean I'm not gonna lie it'll hurt me a little bit if you smile if and when the Royals defeat the Tigers but that's life and I'll have to get over it and you know we'll all become stronger by these losses these losses they build character they they make you tougher and it's gonna be all the better oh it's gonna be all the better when the Tigers can actually break through because you're right it is speaking as a fan of a team that has been predicted to win the World Series for many many years in a row honestly that annoys me more than anything it's just it's it's it doesn't mean anything you know when I meet people like hey those Tigers they won the World Series this year in April no I have no idea how do I want them to of course Yes, I would love the Tigers to win the World Series every year. Will they? I have absolutely no idea. And nobody does. Pitching rotations, pitchers, pitchers get injured. Hitters go on cold streaks. Some guys just flat out forget how to play. Some guys have crazy breakout seasons that you never could have predicted in a million years. They have one good year and then they disappear for the rest of their lives. 162 games. Way too much wackiness can happen over 162 games. Way too much wackiness can happen over 81 games. You know, it's, it's, it's why baseball is the greatest sport in the world. It's unpredictable. I agree with you. I said it out loud. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we are a couple of hours outside of Chicago at this point. We will be flying back to New York and uh, we'll be back in New York for a grand total of eight days before we head back out to go visit uh, Denver, the, the, Colorado Rockies and the Arizona Diamondbacks over on the West Coast. So we'll be able to, I don't know if we'll be able to catch any games at City Field or Yankee Stadium in the next couple weeks, or next eight days, I should say. See, I want it to be a couple weeks, but it's only eight days we're back. So the next time you guys hear us, we will be on our way to uh, Phoenix. We'll be flying to Phoenix. So we'll see you next time here in the clubhouse. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.